bless you. Thank you very much, guys. Okay. So, this morning, uh, we're going to take a little trip back in time, uh, about, about 500 years, actually. We're going to go about 500 years back in time. Um, and all, over, over October, leading up to uh, the 31st of October, where we'll be celebrating it on the 29th of October, but throughout October, we're going to be celebrating a very, very significant period in, in church history. And then into November, we're going to be hearing some stories from people in this church about who Jesus is to them. So we're going to be hearing about how Jesus is their healer, their provider, their saviour, their king. But here's the thing. Those stories wouldn't have taken place. We wouldn't be here in this building, worshipping, hearing from God, meeting him in this wonderful way, if it wasn't for the events that took place 500 years ago. And the, the period of history we're talking about is, is known as the Reformation. It was when the, the lights went on for the church. Centuries before that, uh, the church had got itself, well, in a right mess. We'd lost our way. We, we weren't preaching the gospel anymore. There was corruption. There was, uh, well, a lot of focus on, on money. People weren't sure where they stood with God. People weren't sure how, how, were, how they were saved. Like, that's the biggest question, isn't it? If we, if we come to the place where we know that there's a God up there, and we know that we've, we've rebelled against this God, then the question is, how can we be made right with this God? And the church at the time wasn't teaching how we were made right with this God. Or it was, but but not the true way, not the way that the Bible teaches. And right up until um, 1517, the 31st of October, a guy called Martin Luther went in and pinned on the, the, this old church door 95 statements. And then from that point, that set into place like a series of events, uh, which were like the wake-up calls to the church. And then from there, the church began to just kickstart again into mission. And we realized once again who Jesus was, what he's done, and most importantly, how we were saved. So this was a situation 500 years ago. Right? I'm, I'm a young lad, 24 years old, but my mind is wrecked with guilt because of all the stupid stuff that 24-year-old lads do. And I I'm, I'm, feel guilty, I feel ashamed, and I don't really know where to turn. I know, because everyone believes in God in 500 years ago, I know there's a God up there, and I know that I've rebelled against him, but I haven't got a clue where to go next. So I think, well, I'll go to church, because if anyone can tell me about God and who he is and how I can be made right with him, surely, surely the church can. So I'll rock up on Sunday morning, and my word, it is, it's hard work. Like, some of you might think that our Sunday mornings are hard work. Nothing compared to 500 years ago. And I, I go in and I'm trying to listen, but it's all in Latin. I don't speak Latin. I'm a simple 24-year-old lad from Thornaby. I do not speak Latin. But, so I find it hard work. But, but I've still got that question. How am I, with all my mistakes and mess and rubbish in my life, how am I going to be made right with this God? So I go and speak to the priest afterwards. And I say... Excuse me, Mr. Priest. Excuse me, sir. I'm a silly 24-year-old lad. I want to be made right with God because I'm feeling guilty and ashamed and my conscience is doing my head in. How, how, what, what, what can I do? How can I be saved? How can I be made right with God? It's a question, isn't it, that humanity has been asking. How can I be made right with God? And he tells me, well, first, you put your faith in Jesus. And, and, there's some good works that you've got to do. 
there's some good works that you've got to do. So it's faith and you've got to come to church and take part in these certain things. You've got to do loads of good stuff. And also, you've got to confess every single sin you have ever committed. And he made it clear that everything I've done, I, I would be accountable to God for. And every, every sin that I've committed, would be, I would have to answer to God for that. And if there were still unconfessed sins in my life, that would add up to years in a place called purgatory. Purgatory was a place of punishment where I would spend my time being punished for the sins which I didn't confess. And the amount of sins I didn't confess and the severity of the sins that I didn't confess uh, would add up to a certain length of time in this place called purgatory. And then hopefully, if I've done some good stuff as well and if I put my faith in Jesus, hopefully then, at that point, after who knows how many years in this place called purgatory, I'll be allowed into heaven. It was like every sin, every sin that I did, I was putting coins into a jar. Every bad thought, every silly word, every time I kicked someone too hard on a football pitch because he was doing my head in, every time I got angry at my mum when she made me tidy my room, every time I got angry at my wife for tidy, when, I wanted, when I didn't tidy my room, Every time I swore at someone, I was driving past in the car. I mean, to be honest, I can just tip this whole bag in there, can't I, really? And now there was ways I could get coins out of the jar if I confessed sin. So, sorry, Lord, that I, I, I swore at that person when he drove past me too fast in the car. I'm sorry. So, hey, there we go. There's a year out of purgatory. But also, also, another way that I could get less time in purgatory is if I give money to the Pope because the Pope was selling something called an indulgence which was either a written letter from the Pope saying that because Matty gave me this money that means that I can have five less years in in purgatory so I I go and I I give money to Mr. Pope there you go sir now hey it's it's a fresh £10 note right so does that mean that I get 20 years can I I don't think I can bargain with a Pope, can I? There you go, sir. So I'd give money to the Pope, and hopefully, hopefully, that would then buy me a few less years in purgatory. But I never knew. I was never certain how long I was going to spend there. Even, like, that's the best-case scenario. After I've spent my time in purgatory, maybe I'll get into heaven. Worst-case scenario, I didn't even know if I was saved. I didn't even know at any point, actually, am I right with this, God? So how am I feeling as a young 24-year-old lad wrecked with guilt and shame? How am I feeling? I'm feeling confused. I'm feeling uncertain. I haven't got a clue what the future holds, life after death. And that was the gospel that the church was preaching 500 years ago. And it's still the official teaching of the Catholic Church today. Now, there was a guy called Martin Luther, young guy like me, probably around the same age, who was also wrestling with these questions of, of guilt and shame and how, how can I be made right with this holy God? So he became a monk because then he thought, hey, a monk, it's like the pastors today. It's not a proper job. So I can just like spend my time confessing 
sin after sin after sin. So he, he would go to the priest to, to confess every single sin that he could possibly imagine. He was in there for hours. And there's, there's a really uh, funny, funny quote. One of the, so the priests that uh, Martin Luther was confessing to um, actually turned around to Martin Luther and said, Brother Martin, if you're going to confess so much, why don't you go and do something worth confessing? Go and kill your father or mother or commit adultery, but stop coming in here with such soft and fake sins. He was, Martin Luther was just gripped with this thing of like, man, if I don't confess sins, if I don't keep getting these coins out of the jar, then like, I might not even, I might not get to heaven. I'm going to face the judgment of God. So he'd confess and he'd confess and he'd confess and he'd, he'd try his best to do good works. But still the guilt and the shame remained. His conscience wasn't clear. It was doing his head in. So he thought, right, I'm going to go to Rome. It was said that in Rome, you go to Rome, to that holy place, and whatever you've done, whatever you've done, your conscience can be cleared in that holy city of Rome. So Martin Luther goes to Rome, and he's heading for these 25 steps. And it says that, well, it was said that every step he took up these 25 steps would be nine years out of purgatory. 25 times nine, what's that, 225? That's a decent stint. That's like, that's a good chunk of time knocked off, isn't it? So he went to Rome. And as he approached these steps, he's seen these indulgences sold by the, the Pope on every corner. And he's seen people who have literally sold their homes. They haven't got enough food to eat because they want to give the money so they could get years, hopefully, out of this place called purgatory. It's crazy. And, and, and he's seen people climbing up these steps on, the, on, on their hands and knees, kissing each step, hoping that that will get them a few less years in purgatory. And Martin Luther gets to the top of these nine steps. He turns around and he observes this scene. And he doesn't feel any closer to God. His conscience isn't any more clear. And he goes home feeling more discouraged, more disheartened, more confused than he ever had done. And then one day, as Martin Luther was, was studying the Bible, as he did every day, he came across a, a verse in Romans chapter 1 that had often confused him, often bugged him. And it was Romans 1.17, where it says, The righteous shall live by faith. And that's it. The righteous shall live by faith. For years, Martin Luther thought, and he'd been taught, that the righteous shall live by faith, plus doing good works. Faith plus making sure you confess everything. Faith plus giving money. But he's read in, in Romans 1.17, the righteous, those who are, who are right with God, shall live by faith. Just by faith. And then it says that in his journal, check this out, that Martin Luther then went through the New Testament completely in his head, off by heart, how about that for a challenge? To see if there were other verses in the New Testament that kind of spoke of the same thing and, and the lights went on. Suddenly, we see it by faith. Just simply by putting our faith in Jesus and made right with God. It's not faith plus anything else. I don't have to be a good person to be saved. I just need to come to Jesus. And instantly, he, he felt the guilt wash away. He felt his conscience clear. He said that he was filled with such life and joy and a love for Jesus that he'd never experienced because finally he realized, like, Jesus did it all. All I have to do is put my faith in him. 
faithful in nothing else. The righteous shall live by faith. And then, what we're building up to on the 31st of October, 1517, Martin Luther went from his monastery in Wittenberg to this big old church door, which acted as like the village notice board, and he pinned on that door 95 statements. Martin Luther, he went back into the scriptures and he said, no, the righteous are saved by faith. We're saved by faith, not by works. And these indulgences things, salvation is not something that we can buy. It's a gift from God. And Martin Luther pinned this to the door, and that sent shockwaves across the church in Europe. People began to wake up and think, we're saved by faith. We're saved by faith. And then, can you imagine what that does to, to like a whole, whole of Europe that's been believing that God just wants to judge them and they've got to take off all these things to, to be made right with him? And then suddenly, now they're being told, I'm saved by faith. Jesus did it all. What do you think that does to communities and people as they, as they realize this good news? Martin Luther was obviously dragged before the, the church in Rome for this. And he was questioned and questioned and, and questioned. And accusations and threats were made towards him. And then Martin Luther said, at, at the very end, he, well, he was asked, look, would you give us a plain reply to this question? Are you prepared to recant or not? Are you prepared to take these statements off the door and say that they weren't true? To say that they're nowhere to be found in Scripture? To say that, no, nope, you're not saved by faith, you're saved by faith plus works? Are you prepared to do that, Martin Luther? Give us a clear answer to this question. And he stood there, knowing what this is going to cost him, and he says, unless I am convicted of my error by the Scriptures and my conscience is taken captive by God's Word, I cannot and will not recant anything, for to act against our conscience is neither safe for us or open to us. On this I take my stand. I can do no other. God help me. Amen. On this I take my stand. The, the, the series that we're working through, these next five weeks, we've called it Here I Stand, and we're going to be looking, because out of the Reformation came five slogans that the church should all be about, and the church is going to make their stand on. And, and I hope and pray that as we look at these five slogans, we're going to be like, yeah, we're going to make our stand on this stuff. And the five slogans were, Scripture alone, faith alone, grace alone, Jesus Christ alone, for the glory of God alone. We're going to take our, our teaching, our beliefs, our, uh, the, the way we're going to live our lives, the way we're going to do church, the way we're going to do culture, we're going to take it from the scriptures, scripture alone. And whatever any other voice says, if it's, a, if it's in competition with the scriptures, and, it, and we have to make a choice, it's going to be the scriptures that's going to win. Faith alone. It's not faith plus anything else. Simply by coming to Jesus, saying, Jesus, I believe in who you are, what you've done, we're saved. By grace alone, salvation is not something that, that, that can be bought. It's not something that we can earn ourselves. It is a gift from God. Grace alone. Jesus Christ alone. The whole church, all of our lives, everything is going to be about him. It's going to be about him and making him look amazing and sharing the good news of Jesus to everyone that we meet. 
and all for the glory of God alone. If, if this is all true, if there's a God up there who made us, but who we rebelled against, but then who loved us so much that he came and died for us, if that's all true, then he gets it all. He gets every bit of me. My money, my finances, my job, my family, everything. And it's all going to be for, for him and for his glory. And that's where we're going to go over the next five weeks, looking at these like fundamentals, these, these foundations of, of who we are as, as a church, what we believe in. It's funny, a lot of this stuff we've actually covered in Galatians, it's right the way through the New Testament, that we're saved by faith, through grace. By grace, through faith. <laughs> so scripture alone then. I, I, uh, I wanted to kind of like set up the scene for the next five weeks, put into context um, the Reformation, what it's all about as we build up to Sunday the 29th, October the, the 31st, um, just to kind of give us a bit of backdrop. Because it's true, like, if it wasn't for these events 500 years ago, I would still be running around like a headless chicken, trying to confess everything I could remember to get coins out of the jar, or selling things to the church to hopefully buy something that would get more coins out of the jar. But here we are, you know, singing and worshipping with freedom, knowing that, like, we're not saved by anything that we do, but all because of what Jesus has done. Like, that's amazing. That is, that is worth celebrating and remembering. That if these stories didn't take place 500 years ago, the stories we're going to hear in November, they wouldn't have taken place either. So this is, this is cool. This is good stuff. I know, like, probably to do church history in a vineyard church is a little bit edgy, but I went for it. I thought, <laughs> I thought it would be useful for us. It's good to, to look back and see, like, these, these I was going to say heroes of the faith. They were just some young punks, you know, like, young 20s. Not Well, Martin Luther was educated. Some of those guys weren't educated at all. But they went, no, I'm going to take my stand on scripture. I'm going to take my stand on that we're saved by faith through grace. I'm going to take my stand that it's all going to be about Jesus. I'm going to take my stand on living all for the glory of God. And people died for this stuff. Like, you hear crazy stories of people singing hymns and, and preaching the gospel as they're getting burnt at the stake. Like, this is all part of our story. So that's why I thought it would be important for us, 500 years on, to, to look back and celebrate and just remind ourselves of some of these um, incredible beliefs and the, the foundations of our faith. So the first one is scripture alone. For the, for the reformers, they wanted to get back to scripture. They, they wanted to get back to, to the Bible and they wanted to make this book accessible. So they thought, right, if we can just preach this book, preach the good news of Jesus, if we can preach it accurately and in a way that people can understand, or even if, even better, if we can get this book into the languages of the every, everyday people, then God will do the rest. And isn't that what we've been learning about the last two weeks? That when the Word of God is read and inspired and breathed to life by the Spirit of God, God does the rest. Amazing things happen. People get healed and transformed and, and are spurred up with, to, to get out on the mission, to go and tell people about Jesus. So the reformers knew if we could just get this book, or the words of this book, to the everyday average man on the street, God would do amazing stuff. And for us, 
at Teesside Vineyard, our task is the same. If we can just preach this book accurately and in a way that people can understand on a Sunday morning, God's going to do the rest. If we can meet in groups during the week, connect groups, read this book together and, and pray and ask God to help us understand it and ask God to help us live it out, God will do stuff. Our heart is that we would all come to a place where we are independently dependent on Jesus. I want us to have the tools and the desire so that if persecution hit tomorrow and this building got shut and we couldn't meet here on a Sunday morning, we would all know how to pick up this book, ask God to help us understand it, interpret it accurately, and then be able to teach it to one other person. Would that be a cool place to be? That's what's happening in China and India and the church is just exploding as people are just hearing these words and the Spirit of God is breathing them to life. So our job's the same, really. We just want to get this book out there and, and let God do the rest. So what is, what is the Word of God? Well, I guess there's two answers to this. The first one is that Jesus is the Word of God. So in, in John chapter 1, Elijah read from, from this chapter earlier, it says that in the beginning was the Word and the Word was with God and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. And then that verse 14, that incredible verse, the word became flesh and made his dwelling amongst us. So Jesus is the word, but also like the Bible is the word of God. The Bible is from the Father. It's all about the Son. And it was inspired by and revealed to us by the Holy Spirit. This really is the word of God. Now let, let me be as, as logical and as clear as, as I possibly can be. If there's a God up there, if there's a God up there, and he, is, he has spoken to us through, through the scriptures, if this is his book, if this is his word, then when there are other voices speaking into our life, when there's a choice to be made about which voice we're going to listen to, what should be the outcome of that decision? If there's a God up there who's given us this book on one hand, and then on the other hand, there's these other voices speaking into our life, which voice should win? And that was the choice that the reformers had. On the one hand, for them it was, ironically, the tradition of the church against Scripture, against God's Word. And they said, on this I take my stand. I'm going, to put, I'm, going to, I'm going to say scripture. I'm going to take my stand on scripture. What the Bible says is what I'm going to believe and how I'm going to live it out. But I just wonder, like, what, what voices have we got speaking into our life which compete with this book? You know, it, it may be culture. How loud does that speak? Through the, the media, social media, you know, oh, it's okay to do this or that or watch these sort of shows because, well, everyone does it. For, us, for, for some, it might be culture that's competing with, with Scripture. It may be experience. Yeah, well, I know the Bible says that God heals, but I've never actually seen it, so I guess it can't be true. You know, for me, that's been a big one. Like, few three years ago now, I, I was diagnosed with type 1 diabetes, and my mum's got MS. We're not healed yet. But, you know, it's, it's interesting. I've probably seen more healing since I've been diagnosed than before. Now, I had a choice to make. My, my choice was, I, I'm not healed. My mum isn't healed. So does that mean that God doesn't heal? 
Well, no, because this book tells me that he does. So I'm still just going to keep praying for people. And we're still going to still, we're, I'm still going to expect that God's going to heal. Because I'm not going to let my experience water down or negate what it says in Scripture. What I'm going to do is read this book and say, God, I want my experience to match the book. On, on a Monday morning, we're, we're uh, with the YFC guys and some other youth workers from around Teesside. We're working through the book of Acts. And that's one of the questions that we've asked ourselves. You know, there's loads of healings and miracles and people getting saved like every day in the book of Acts. And either we can write it off and say, well, God can't work like that these days. Or maybe, you know, that was just for then, when the church was first getting started. Or we can say, God, my, my experience at the moment, let's be honest, at Teesside Vineyard, our experience at the moment is that we're not seeing healings regular. We're not seeing people getting saved every day. But let's press in. Let's press in till our experience matches the book of Acts. And the prayer meetings, the first step for me in that, that as we pray and press in and say, God, I want to see the book of Acts. I want to, I want to see, you know, like the Gazette show up and say, oh, yeah, well, there's this book in the Bible called the book of Acts and there's some cool stuff happening there, but it's also happening over here now in Thornaby and across Teesside. Wouldn't that be cool? So don't let your experience speak louder than what Scripture says. Keep pressing in until your experience matches Scripture. So for some of us, it may be culture that's speaking louder than Scripture. For others, it might be experience is speaking louder than Scripture. For some, it might be just that voice in the head. Or maybe a, vo- a voice of someone who spoke something negative over you in the past. You're not good enough. You never make anything of yourself. You're this or you're that. Or you're not like this person, or you're not like that person. Or it's anxiety and worry. Or it's fear. And then you have a choice. We have a choice to make, don't we? If this book really is the Word of God, and we've got all those other voices speaking over us, which voice are we going to listen to? On which voice are we going to take our stand? Scripture, the Word of God, or these other voices? Culture, experience, the voice in our head, whatever that may be. And you know, in in, uh, the Connect group that meets in my home a a couple of Tuesdays ago now, we were reflecting on on, on Teresa's talk, and, and especially on that verse in Romans 12 where it talks about how we shouldn't be conformed to the pattern of this world, but we should be transformed by the renewing of our minds. And we were starting to think, okay, what patterns of the world are we conforming to? And then how are we going to be transformed? Like, what, what can we put into our minds so that we're transformed? And then we split off into pairs, and we, we began to, like, find scriptures for each other that would maybe speak against that temptation or, or that lie that we're believing about ourselves. I would so encourage you to do that. You know, sit with someone who, who you know who can, who can pray with you, or, or just, just on your own and find a scripture that speaks against that specific temptation or that lie, whatever it is that is competing against Scripture. And then I used to write it out. I used to write it out on a bit of paper and pull it out whenever I went to the toilet or in between lessons or whatever. And it just helped to keep this truth going over in, in, in and around my head that would combat the lies that the rest of the world is telling me. And eventually, over time, through prayer, that truth goes from your head into your heart, and you're transformed. Scripture is so powerful. It's, it's the Word of God. When, when we speak, when we read these words, 
and the Holy Spirit breathes into life, we encounter Jesus and we're transformed by him. And I hope that us as Teesside Vineyard, like we make that decision today to take our stand on, on this book, on Scripture. And I'd like to invite the band forward. Um, and just as, as we go into this, this final time of, of worship, I know that the, the teaching on the Scripture alone bit was, was relatively brief. Some of you are thinking, you've gone wrong forever. But like, we, we've had two weeks of teaching on Word and Spirit. So seriously, I think those podcasts are on iTunes now, aren't they? Um, so give, give those, the previous two weeks sermons, a listen as well. If you want to know more about the Word of God, how to read it, um, the impact that it can have in our lives, have a look at the last two weeks of scripture uh, of, uh, of the sermons. But what I'd, I'd love to do in, in this final time of worship is, is the band just play uh, quietly over us. I, I just want to read some scriptures over us and let the word of God speak for itself. Now, I've, I've prayerfully considered these scriptures and, and hope and pray that as I read them, the Lord would speak directly to you uh, in specific ways. And I also want to make the invitation that if, if one of these scriptures just hits you, hits you hard, you, you know that's God speaking to me about that. I'd like to invite you to, to come forward um, and Teresa, Elijah um, will be here to, to pray for you. So as I'm reading over these, these scriptures, please take whatever posture you would find most comfortable for, to listen and to take this stuff in. Um, close your eyes, maybe. Some of us in church will, will put our hands open as like a posture of receiving. And just receive these scriptures. I'm not going to add any comment to them. I'm just going to let God speak to you through them. Well, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Then God said, Let us make mankind in our image in our likeness, that they may rule over the fish of the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals. You have searched me, Lord, and you know me. You know when I sit and when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You are familiar with all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you, Lord, know it completely. You hem me in behind and before, and you lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, for me, too lofty for me to attain. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold me fast. If I say, surely the darkness will hide me and the light become night around me, even the darkness will not be dark to you. The night will shine like the day, for darkness is as light to you. For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you 
when I was made in the secret place, when I was woven, woven together in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. The Lord your God is with you. He is mighty to save. He will take great delight in you. He will quiet you with his love. And he will rejoice over you with singing. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. It is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so I loved you. Now remain in my love. And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And those he predestined, he also called. Those he called, he also justified. Those he justified, he also glorified. What, then, shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own Son, but gave him up for us all, How will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? Who will bring any charge against those whom God has has chosen? It is God who justifies. Who then is the one who condemns? No one. Christ Jesus, who died, more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. Who shall separate us then from the love of, of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? For it is written, For your sake we face death all day long. We consider the sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any, any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. For it is by grace you have been saved, through faith. And this is not from yourselves, it is the gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. For we are God's handiwork, or masterpiece, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. See what great love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God, And that is what we are.